Hello, everybody. Welcome. We have Rachel Pringle here. She is the Director of Strategic Partnerships at Green Schoolyards America. Welcome, Rachel. Thank you for having me. Great. We have so much to talk about, but before we dive in, I would love to have you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit of the backstory of how you came to Green Schoolyards America. Great. Yeah, I'm happy to share that. I, um, well, yeah, I'm really glad to be here today. And thank you for having this great podcast about a subject that's near and dear to me. I, um, yeah, you know, I, I grew up, uh, kind of surrounded by the natural world on a farm in Maine and, um, you know, had always had that deep connection to being outside and, um, and when I, um, all through school and when I out of school kind of, you know, had choices before me about what I wanted to do, um, I was really lucky to actually um, get a job that was environmental education, just taking kids outside. And it happened to be in California. So I moved across the country and um, did that for about a year and a half, taking kids out into um, into the natural spaces north of the Golden Gate. And um, through that work was connected with um, who was uh, someone who is now a good friend of mine, who was actually a garden educator in a school in San Francisco Unified School District. And she told me that there was an opening in another school with a garden. And I said, that sounds like the perfect mix of things that I wanna do is connecting kids to the natural world, but it's also a little bit of farming, if you will, like connecting kids yeah. to growing food. And so I ended up becoming a garden educator um, at a school in San Francisco, a K-8 school, public K-8 school, and had such an amazing time doing that and learned a lot about, um, you know, obviously working with kids in schools, but also just how schools work, how they function, how communities support these schools at this level. How do you sustain a program like this over time? And um, and that was I did that for four years and it was an amazing experience. And, um, you know, that that experience, that garden, actually, I stepped into a garden that had already been created by a group of parents. And one of those parents was a woman named Arden Buckland Spore, who um, was really a, a, a mentor of mine, became a big mentor of mine. And she and I, um, after that experience, started working to try to coordinate all the gardens in San Francisco Unified, realizing that, mm -hmm. oh, wow, there's a bunch of us out there. It's a bunch of district gardens. And how can we help support those gardens at the district level? And, um, and so we did that. And we did that through an organization called the San Francisco Green Schoolyard Alliance. And, um, and that organization eventually became um, an organization called Education Outside. And um, Arden and I helped grow that organization into an AmeriCorps program that had AmeriCorps educators in about 60 schools throughout San Francisco, as well as San Mateo counties, which San Mateo County has multiple school districts in it. And that's just south of San Francisco. And we had, um, yeah, many, many educators in the, along in the, many of those schools. And doing the same types of thing that both she and I did, which was getting kids outside, connecting them to the natural world, instilling that sense of awe, but also um, teaching them science and other subjects in that space. So with that, before we get to green schoolyards, what was the biggest challenge in that? Because I, I, I've talked to many people in terms of the resistance and many yeah. teachers not liking change. What would, what would you, uh, what may have been the biggest challenge and how did you pivot to overcome that? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think, you know, it definitely varied in some ways from school to school, depending on what schools um, were trying to do these programs. But the biggest thing that we saw, I think, at a district level 
was that it was very hard to start and sustain these programs at the lowest income schools, at the schools that really needed this the most, right? Getting kids outside, getting them exposed to these really amazing places that, you know, help kids understand where their food comes from, helps them um, re-regulate if they're dysregulated, all of these things like, and, and it's important for every school, but it's important. Um, but it was, it certainly should be available to schools that are in lower income communities. And that was a big challenge to figure out that. And I think um, one of the things we realized is that we needed to help create a program where schools could say, okay, this is a program. I see it packaged here. You have a garden educator. We, um, they already know they're trained. We, our organization trained them in standards and understanding how to connect to the academics that needed to be, you know, taught um, because this, you know, going outside was during instructional minutes. And yeah. so we really had to show those schools, hey, all the schools really, but <clears throat> um, this, this isn't just, I mean, it's, it is exceptionally fun and it's really great, but it's also connecting. It's what's great about it is that it's fun and it's connecting to the standards and we're doing really, really hands-on learning outside. And, um, and once you make that connection um, and then package that and show schools that, Hey, we have a garden educator and yes, you do pay a little bit for that. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and, but that was a really nice way to kind of help equitably bring these programs to multiple schools across the district. And that was a really fun, um, yeah, it was a really fun program and really, um, it was great to work across all sorts of different types of schools. Wow. Amazing. So then you evolved into, uh, Green Schoolyards America. And again, there, I know what Green Schoolyards America is, but can you explain what it is for those of the listeners that don't know even what it is? Yeah, absolutely. So our, the organization that I work for, Education Outside, is a different organization. But through that through that experience, I was connected with a woman named Sharon Danks, who um, she is my current boss now. She's the founder and CEO <laughs> of founder and CEO of Green Schoolyards America, which is its own organization. Um, and she founded that organization um, through because her work, and she's a really an amazing visionary, and she um, is a by training an environmental planner and went to school um, at University of California, Berkeley to receive her master's in city planning and landscape architecture. And, and she, um, uh, for her thesis, uh, traveled the world looking at green schoolyards and um, looking at how other countries approach um, their schools and the outdoor spaces, right? So there's so much focus on and including right now in terms of infrastructure about the building, right? But the we know that the grounds are just as important, maybe maybe more important for students. Um, and her experience going around the world um, was really really amazing and enlightening. And she actually put all of that learning into a book called Asphalt to Ecosystems. Yeah. And um, it's design ideas um, for schoolyard transformation. And it's really really it's a great book because it's, it's really, it's also really fun to just look through to see like, okay, what do they do in Japan and how do they, wow, they have such a different approach to being outside and getting kids outside in the natural world and how it goes, the, the fluidity between inside and outside and, or, you know, and plenty of other places like in Germany, they have like all of their schoolyards um, are required to deal with all the rainwater that falls on them. So they have all of these permeable schoolyards that, you know, are not putting water into the stormwater, uh, you know, the, the regular store stormwater. And like in Berlin, Germany, for example, they 
it, it slows and sinks and goes right there back into the groundwater at those school sites. And there's lots of other examples, but she put that all into a book. And then um, about just about 10 years ago, started Greens Clearance America. And, um, and I, you know, had been connected to Sharon because she had actually spearheaded the work in San Francisco Unified mm-hmm. um, around um, uh, San Francisco, I believe was the first major U.S. city to have a big modernization bond that was passed before the voters, was put before the voters, was passed to modernize the school, but had a specific call out for greening of schoolyards. So, hey, if you're gonna be taking up asphalt and putting in ramps for ADA, Americans with Disabilities Act compliance, like let's take keep some of that asphalt up and do some greening. And so that actually, um, three different bond measures passed three different times, I believe it was three, maybe four, that, um, totaled many millions of dollars to help green schoolyards across San Francisco Unified School District. And so every school in that district um, has, has been able to go through a greening process. And Sharon was instrumental in providing the language for that, for the bond, as well as um, later helping schools do master planning um, projects through her previous um, firm called uh, Baytree Design. And they um, did a lot, many, if not most of the master plan, I think I'm actually all of the master planning processes with all the schools in San Francisco. Um, and then the schools had this great community design process, community input about what they wanted to have on their schoolyard. And then the schools went and then hired a landscape architect to come in and build pieces of that. So Sharon was instrumental in all that. I was connected with her through that process. Lo and behold, 2020 pandemic rolls around. Right. And, um, I'm reconnected with Sharon and start working at Green Squares America. Yeah. And then there was a COVID initiative. Yes. I think where the rest of the world found out about Green School. <laughs> that's when I found out about it was during right. your COVID initiative. That's right. And so 2020 happened and wow, all of a sudden schools are kind of, you know, panicking a little bit of like, wow, we have to bring kids back, but we don't have enough physical space to do all the physical distancing that is required. How do we then, what other spaces can we use? Oh, wow. We have this whole school ground. And how can, and then, you know, Sharon and, and several colleagues from the Lawrence Hall of Science, from a nonprofit called Ten Strands and the San Mateo County Office of Ed um, came together and said, um, wow, you know, we need to help schools realize that there's actually great opportunities out there. And yes, there is some retrofitting that needs to happen. And maybe some, you know, a lot of schools need to just know how to like build a seating circle and, you right. know, how do we, and then how do you just, you know, straight up just take your curriculum outside or maybe they want to know how to connect to the outdoor space too, or out some of the outdoor elements. And so, yes, we, um, Green School of America with those other organizations I mentioned founded the national COVID outdoor learning initiative. And um, it was really neat to see because it was over 300 volunteers from across the U S who all helped contribute, all were authors and developed resources for schools. And, and those are now in what we call the National Outdoor Learning Library, which is on our website, our, it's greenschoolyards.org. And if you go to that website, you'll find um, in one of the dropdowns, our National Outdoor Learning Library, which has all of those resources. And some of which still have some of that adaptation for COVID in it, but we've been working slowly to, to update that now that mm-hmm. the pandemic has, has um, you know, faded a little bit. So, um, yeah, so that was a big a big initiative, and yes, Sharon was like, I, "We we need more hands on deck to help support this," and that's was when I came on board, and it was really fun to work with a lot of different working groups, all of which were focused on different aspects of this work. Like, what are the health benefits of actually taking 
learning outside. There's yes, there's obvious COVID benefits because you're outside and there's more air circulation, but there's also many health benefits just for students in general of being outside and sharing those and getting a group of doctors and um, academics to put together those, you know, cited works or cited um, research was great. You know, that's one of the working groups. Others were on policy. Others were on, you know, outdoor infrastructure. So yeah, it was a really incredible fun initiative. So then you also have the national uh, schoolyard forest system. Is that, that's another initiative? That's right. Yeah. And so since, since COVID, as I mentioned, has kind of faded, we've been, we've really pivoted quickly to um, what I think many people are, have been seeing and we have been seeing and been thinking about this for a while, but you know, once COVID was kind of feeling like we, okay, we don't, this is that emergency response is done. We are really working towards this climate climate crisis, really this, 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 you know, more and more days of extreme heat. Um, and how do we help support schools that potentially in another few decades may not be able to use their outdoor space because it is too hot. You know, there are schools currently who, um, you know, have to take heat days, you know, they call off school because their, you know, their school building doesn't have the, the, the right HVAC system to keep it cool enough. Right. And then outdoors on the hot black asphalt or even safety servicing, rubberized safety servicing, or even turf, those things are extremely hot. Mm. And, um, and so, yeah, we've been doing some temperature studies over the last bunch of years and have been showing that, okay, on a hot asphalt day, a hot asphalt yard, a day that's like between 60 and 70 degrees, that asphalt can be up kind of can be upwards of 120 degrees. Wow. And then on a hotter day, it's even hotter, right? So, and, and students, as you know, little, especially little kids are much more susceptible. Their way their bodies are, are much more susceptible to heat and being overheated. They're also shorter. So there's much more radiant heating, you know, heat from those grounds hitting them. And so it's it's a real health issue, um, public health issue. And we know here in the state of California um, that there's about 6 million kids in our public education, education system. And we've been doing some mapping with um, an organization called the Green Info Network that does a lot of GIS mapping. And we've been looking at schools across California. There's about 10,000 schools in California. And we've been looking across those schools to see, okay, what in terms of climate predictions and well, current climate and also climate predictions, where are the most you know, vulnerable areas, schools in the state to extreme heat? And, and how does that correlate with income and tree canopy? So we've been looking at this map and realizing that there's a very obvious need in Southern California. Um, mm. There's definitely a lot of, um, there's a lot of low-income communities and, and it may come as no surprise that a lot of those low-income communities also don't have a lot of trees. They don't have a lot of urban street trees or even you know, school trees or even, even urban street trees. So like there's a huge need in terms of the climate, in terms of economics, as well as, um, you know, greenery and nature and trees and all of that is is showing a, a tremendous need, particularly in Southern California. There are other spots as well across the state. So we, yeah, so looking at that data, we realized, well, yes, school gardens are absolutely phenomenal and wonderful. They are also on the scale of terms of involvement and need in terms of maintenance and, you know, work to sustain them. They're on the higher end, right? They take a lot of continual maintenance and support. 
And that's fantastic if you're a school that can do that. But on the other end, what can we do that's less maintenance, but provides big impact? And that's trees. <laughs> um, yeah. and, and we already know there's lots of efforts around the world and around the country around tree planting. So there's a lot of, lot of great great organizations already working on this. We're just trying to connect it to schools and help schools help them understand how to, to do this effectively. And how do we connect the people who want to do this, like tree planting organizations and schools so that they can come together and make it happen. And so we founded the National Square Forest System, uh, but the first state in that system is California. So we have Cal the California Square Forest System. And we founded this um, initiative with CAL FIRE, which is our California Department of um, Forestry and Fire Protection, as well as the California Department of Education and uh, the nonprofit 10 Strands um, that works on environmental literacy across the state. And so we have been working with those partners to figure out, okay, how do we, how do we connect schools to the funding that actually CAL FIRE is putting out? So they've had a lot of grants. We're not putting out grants ourselves, but we're helping schools connect to those grants and also putting out resources. So we created another library for this called the Schoolyard Forest Resource Library. Um, so schools can understand like, how do I actually plant a forest and what does a schoolyard forest mean? What is that? And, and what, what, what is, how do I connect it to academics? And um, so, yeah, so we have a resource library there. So yeah, we've, we've founded that and we've been in conversation with a few other states as well who are interested in starting this. Um, and um and there's actually quite a bit of urban forestry funds coming to states through the Inflation Reduction Act, which is a big, you know, the, this huge um, bill that was passed by Congress. Um, so, yeah, it's exciting. And it's also um, a real urgent need <laughs> across, yeah. across not just California, but in many in many states. So. And have you seen the impact uh, are, are you still in that beginning stages? Have you seen the impact on schools, on the children? Any of are you at that stage yet? Or no, that's a great question. We what we've been doing so far is we one of the things that we've been doing in California as part of our we consider ourselves like a backbone organization where this organization is helping to put together like the resources, trying to create ways to connect schools to these resources and understanding what this is. One of the ways we've been doing that is through a community of practice online. And we've been holding these community of practice, uh, what we're calling the Schoolyard Forest Community of Practice. And we hold it once a month and um, it's during the school year. And so we had one last year and we're starting up one again. Um, and um, and that we're, what we've been doing is showcasing some case studies, some people who are, some schools and districts that are doing this work already that have that have started planting trees what have what are some of the lessons learned sharing with their their work mm -hmm. and so that has been really fun to see is the, the people coming to this community of practice it's virtual it's online and hearing from practitioners who've been doing this work so that's been really interesting to see the various different models that are already out there yeah that's um, and so but we are um embarking in this new year we'll be starting what we're calling a kind of a little bit more handholding, a little more digging deep with some communities in Southern California. We're creating a hub down there to do some training, to help connect to, um, to resources, to help bring in the tree planting organizations so they can start doing this. So, and part, as part of that, we want to, we're really thinking deeply right now about our evaluation. How do we, how do we think about the impact and how do we measure the impact and, and, um, and what is that going to look like and um, what can we expect the impact to be and, and are, are, you know, and then see how, if, 
if that's what happens. Um, so we haven't formally looked at the impact of these other than we have, other than we've certainly, we've created a, a neat document in our resource library about the benefits of um, schoolyard forests um, or forests in general and, and you know, shade, et cetera. And that's, we, that was done by two professors, uh, one from Cal Poly Pomona and one from Occidental College who've put together a whole resource cited, you know, resource list around um, research paper around like what are the benefits and showing all the research studies that have shown that. Mm -hmm. So the impact has been shown at a, at a formal level, but we want to, you know, the evaluation that I'm mentioning is more of our own programmatic impact and how do we measure that? So, um, so yeah, it, it's, it's definitely an interesting and long-term project. Oh, it sounds absolutely, absolutely fascinating. It sounds like you have the framework to, you know, you have the umbrella organization, the framework of even getting down to the digging deeper with the community and right. developing oh. those relationships. And that's really, to me, what it's all about. It's, so it seems like you really have it the framework and it's just a matter of time to. Right. Yes. It's a matter of time and building capacity <laughs> to do it and make sure that we can do it well. And yes, yeah. it's a lot. And we, there's, yeah, there's no lack of need. I think, yeah. How can we support our organization to, to support, continue to support the backbone, but also as we said, to, to support these hubs that are starting, that we're starting yeah. to develop their, again, like, like you said, more down hands-on relationship building in communities. Um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely, and we think of this as like a multi-decade project, you know, yeah. it's, it's, and trees, you know, our goal is to plant, um, the goal that we've stated is to plant, to have, have schools across the state, have 30% tree canopy where, when mature, you know, that they're 30% of their school ground where kids can access, like the actual, not the, not where the, the cars are parked or the street, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. the curb appeal, it's where kids are actually going every day. That 30% of that is shaded when those trees are mature, you know, and wow. we, and we are trying to do that. You know, we've put like 2030 out there, but it, you know, this is going to take some time. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, much more beyond 2030, but we're hoping that, you know, getting the trees planted um, and then, you know, multi-decades later, those trees will be there. And, you know, part of this is also helping schools who have trees now understand what precious resources they yeah. have and how can yeah. you preserve that and don't yeah. cut the tree down. And even if you need to move a, a security camera, like move the camera, don't cut the tree down. Like that's right. a huge, an amazing multi-decade growth that you have. Don't, yeah, don't lose that. All so. that education. So can yeah. you tell us a little bit about the Living Schoolyards Act? Is that something? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So one of the other things that we've been working on is is the Living Schoolyards Act, which um, was uh, introduced to Congress this last year by um, Senator Heinrich, Martin Heinrich from New Mexico. Um, he's a really, really interesting man. He, uh, in his background, he's an engineer by trade, but he's also, um, was an outdoor educator, um, in his past and is a avid mm -hmm. hunter, outdoorsman, um, you know, conservationist. And he, um, his staff approached us about, um, you know, how do we, you know, we've been hearing about, you know, schools are trying to go outside and how can we support them in this outdoor piece? And I think, you know, they came to us because, partly because of our outdoor COVID initiative and, um, and 
And obviously our title is Green Square It's America. <laughs> and, um, and so we did support their staff in writing um, this bill, um, which was really kind of a, at its first iteration was really about supporting schools and taking learning outside, partly because of COVID. But as you know, time went on and, and um, before the bill was introduced, we realized, you know, we can update that language and it can really just be a, a, a much more broader general bill around living schoolyards mm-hmm. and helping, um, helping schools across the country recognize that this is a, a worthwhile thing to do and, um, and to provide some funding for that. So the Living Schoolyards Act um, was really brought, as I said, to Congress by Mark, by Senator Heinrich and, um, and it really is, it has two parts. Um, part of it is there's some funding for planning. So like a planning grant, and then there's an implementation grant. And it's really just to help schools. Yeah, if you need funds, you know, here's some funds to build um, an outdoor seating space, mm-hmm. to build gardens and raise beds, to um, just to help change your schoolyard into an outdoor space that can be an outdoor classroom. And, um, and so that's been really exciting and it's, and it's really, you know, it's a bill that, you know, there's not enough funding in the bill to cover all the schools in the U S but it's really important because it, it, it provides, it's one, it's like the first time in the federal record we've had like, you know, emphasis on schoolyards and and school grounds as a piece of infrastructure, right. That's worth focusing on. And it also, um, it, you know, it'll, it will provide enough funding to, I mean, there's a great amount of funding in it and it's, it's about, um, you know, showing this and doing some projects that can show the, the need, the value of this work. So that's, what's really exciting about it. The, 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 um, the work right now is to get it passed and that's always right. That's a process and you never know how long that's going to take. And especially right now, because we have such a divided Congress um, it's harder to get things mm-hmm. passed. Mm-hmm. We believe, you know, this is a really, really great bill. It should be bipartisan. Like there's nothing not to like about it. It's wonderful. It's about, you know, educating our next, you know, getting kids outside, getting them connected to STEM uh, subjects and preparing them for this, you know, growing STEM field and making sure our country is ready for those, uh, the, the need for those STEM jobs. And this really does. And there's been research that shows that kids who have exposure to outdoor education and gardens and school gardens have, you know, much more, much more propensity to go into a STEM career, particularly girls. And, um, and that's, and then, you know, these, you know, they also make your campus look, look more beautiful and, and provide a space for, you know, uh, developing school pride, you know, all of this stuff. So it's, mm-hmm. so really I'm nodding fun. my head, yes, exactly. <laughs> you to the choir, but it's, but yeah, so it's a great, it's a bill that I think, um, I hope that we can, um, include that can be included in, you know, um, some, some sort of next round of funding, whether that's, um, another infrastructure bill or education bill, or, um, you know, whatever, we're trying to figure out where it fits. You know, I should say we, we're not the Senator Heinrich and his staff are trying to figure that out, but we are trying to support, um, raising awareness about the bill and getting folks to write letters and, um, kind of grassroots. I guess that's my next question in terms of just, we have a a a listeners listening to our podcast and how would you give tips and tricks to invite educators, parents, grandparents, community members, leaders into joining this movement in terms of trying to get 
more schools and teachers outdoors, teaching outdoors, more parents on board? How, wh what would you recommend? Uh, yeah. I think people think, oh, being a part of a movement sort of scary. And, uh, but I think it's a really talk having these conversations, but how, how do you recommend? Well, I think that's a good point is that I think number one, raising awareness about what is a living schoolyard and how can you, mm -hmm. you know, you know, I think one of the things that we like to say over and over again is, and I think people don't like what, unless you have kids in school, or maybe even if, even if you do have kids in school, I, I'm not sure people are thinking of it this way, but school districts, particularly public school districts are often the biggest landowners in their cities, in their towns. Hmm. And that's, that's, that's public land. It's, it's because it's a public school, it's public land. And how can we help schools think differently about how they manage that land for student learning and for student connect, you know, for, for, for the benefits of students and, and communities. Um, I can, I mean, I can, I could guess that people would not come to the conclusion that, okay, if we just cap that in asphalt, that's going to be the most beneficial for students and school communities. Asphalt is absolutely okay. Mm -hmm. Right. A lot of PE teachers out there that might be like, well, I need asphalt to play basketball. Absolutely. So that's totally great. And, but, but it doesn't have to be the whole space. And um, you can have a mix of, you know, grass field for games like soccer and a little bit of the asphalt for basketball and whatever else you need to do there. But you can also have a space that allows for kids who may not want to do those things to have to be outside and enjoy those spaces. So I think impor it's important to just understand that, number one, mm -hmm. that building awareness around that that schools can have a diversity of play spaces, diversity of learning spaces outside, and that the school grounds, um, you know, shape children's perspective. Right? If they go out into that schoolyard and it's just asphalt and there's just trash and you know it's not invested in or it doesn't feel invested in, that can that can shape how a student might feel they're being invested in. Right? Like it's the grounds matter as a part of infrastructure. I think that's number one. That's like a big message. And how can we help schools think differently about how to manage that land? But I think the next the next one that's really action oriented is like getting everybody to realize that you can talk to your Congress people about this. And, and that can be your state legislators. Um, I know in my home state of Maine, there's a tremendous local movement there around outdoor education and environmental education. And so there are groups that you can tap into to help support their work to to um, to campaign uh, in their state legislatures around this, and and I know in Maine it's been very successful. They've been you know doing a lot of great work to get students outside in a lot of different ways, um, and having success in in that state legislature. But then there's also our federal federal Congress that we can we can also have a lot of influence in now. And I've been learning myself in this because I'm not my background is not in policy or lobbying or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But having had conversations with staff in offices in in the Capitol, it does matter. They really do look at the letters. They really do look at the calls. If they get a hundred calls, they're like, okay, hmm. So it doesn't have to be thousands. Just so your letter, your call matters. And that I think was just so enlightening to me. It makes tons of sense. So if you if you care about this, and you're a constituent in one of these people's offer, you know, in their state, like 
call and email them or write letters. And that's really important. And I think with the Living Swears Act, that's a that would be amazing. Like we've been really trying to get folks to write letters. And on our website, we have some, you know, template letters that folks can use. But um, but I think the other piece is really um recognizing that, yeah, it's a local thing. Like you can you you can get involved in your local school or your parent, your kid's school. And I mean, I'm looking at this myself right now. I'm in a I live in California in the mountains and we're surrounded by nature, but still a lot of the schoolyards here are still asphalt. And how can I, especially with my own background, help influence that and, um, you know, help, uh, you know, we actually have a facilities master planning process happening right now. And so I need to be involved in that. I need to speak up. I need to get involved and say, hey, I have some ideas around this, especially if you're about to think about the next 10 years of or 20 years of your facilities, of your school facilities. Let's have conversations about how we can think about the outdoor space. So <clears throat> those are just a few ways, but there's a lot that can be done. Thank you. That was a very excellent answer. Really good ideas. So we could talk all day, but is there anything else you'd like to share that we didn't touch upon and that you would like to let our community know? Well, it's the, thank you for that opportunity. I, you know, I just really appreciate this chance to share a little bit about Green Square America. We're a nonprofit organization and we really, you know, um, are a small and mighty team and we really, but the concept is big and we really hope that people can get behind this big concept if there's one thing I could ask people is to just, yeah, write a letter to your Congress people, whether that's state or federal, and ask them to support the Living Schoolyards Act. Get your friend to do it. Get a couple friends to do it. Yeah. And um, and yeah, you know, just it's funny how change can happen. I will say in San Francisco, um, the reason the bond, our big, the big modernization bond that put greening as a part of it. The reason that happened was because a group of dedicated folks who were part of what the old organization, the San Francisco Green Squared Alliance, they went to those meetings. They went to the bond meetings, the public bond meetings that most people would say, you know what, I don't have time for that. You know, and most people, I get it. I'm, I have young kids. I like it's hard to carve out time. But going to those, you know, kind of boring meetings actually can be very, very impactful because basically it was one of those meetings where somebody suggested, hey, if you're going to take up asphalt, can you maybe just keep it up and do some greening? And they said, okay, yes, we can. Um, so anyway, that's a, I think it's just a great reminder is that little boring meetings can actually have a big impact. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And so where can anyone find you or Green Schoolyards? Yeah, thank you. We So our website is greenschoolyards.org. And um, yeah, you can just Google us. We're Green Squares America. And as I mentioned, we have those libraries on our website, the, um, the National Outdoor Learning Library, the Schoolyard Forest Resource Library, as well as our Living Schoolyards Act page, which has all of our, um, you know, we have a student advocacy toolkit in there. So if you want to get your, if you're a teacher and you want to get kids uh, advocating for the Living Schoolyards Act, there's resource in there. There's also template letters and things like that. So those are all on our website, greenschoolyards.org. Perfect. Thank you so much for your time and everything that you are doing and making such a difference and helping us join that movement as well with all your tips and tricks. Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And thanks for having this great podcast about such an important subject. Thank you.